Hi folks, I'm Alan Watt and this is Cutting Through the Matrix on August the 7th, 2016. Have you ever been in what they call polite society? Generally, I don't mix with polite people. In fact, I don't mix with people at all, to be honest, these days. But when you're really ignorant and, and young, you know, you tend to think it's a normal thing to do, where you go to these little do's where you have to get a little bit more dressed up than usual, you know. That means you have to match your socks together. That's a problem. I often heard things like that. And... And then you have to stand around and drink wine or something like that and mingle. They call it mingling, you see. And, and the minglers tend to wear dress, long evening dresses for the women, things like that. That's polite society. Polite society ties in with the idea of gentle people and gentle men and so on. I've met some of their women and they're not so gentle after all. It's a bit of a myth. But the thing is, though, they're supposed to be talked politely. No matter what they're thinking or what they plan to do, they always talk politely, you see. Little chitter-chatter. Very pleasantly, too. And um, I used to keep my mouth shut at these things. I'd smile when, when, when it's appropriate to smile. And maybe even laugh once in a while when it was a polite... It's a polite laugh. It's like, ah, oh, ah, oh, ah, oh, ah, oh, ah. Oh. You know, that kind of laugh, you see. It doesn't sound too base, like common... Like a ha ha ha, you know, you're just a oh ha oh, oh, oh. That's what you call a polite laugh. And, uh, and you don't laugh too hard because then it's obscene. So there's little manners you have to learn to, to mix with polite society, you see. But once in a while, once in a while, when you're really naive and you're kind of new at it, they'll ask you your opinion on something that they've been chatting about, you see. That's something I often avoid like the plague because... If you're not really thinking, and generally you're not at these things, your brain kind of switches off. Uh, it's just so intriguing, you see. And um, if they ask you a question, you, you just jump right into it, giving them a, a, an educated answer that terrifies them. You see the faces going into horror, you know, absolute horror. And you wonder if you've spilt your drink down yourself or even lowered down worse. And it makes you, it, and that's what really happens in polite society. Because you're not supposed to talk about something that might be something that might scare the children type of thing, you see. Or even scare the New Agers who will tell you that if you say that, you'll you make it happen just by saying it. But apparently that's why the, everything in the world's the way it is. It's because we cause it because we say it, you see. And so you be awfully careful when you're in polite society because you're not supposed to talk about things so serious. Everything's nicey-nicey. Things will get better for that kind of class of people, you see. Always get better. And there should be no negativity at all. Even though lots of them, these people in polite society, work for uh, the agencies and, and even some of the big think tanks that plan your future, you know. Quite happily. Some of them even work in biowarfare laboratories, things like that. And they all stand there and chitter-chatter as well and, and, and you know, giggle politely, etc., etc. And that's what they do. But they actually get paid to work out things that are very, very important for the security of the, your owners, basically. Because we're all truly owned, like Charles Fort said. We're farmed. Uh, and it's, it's time for the culling, you see. There's too many, too many... Uh, farm animals now, they can't just use you like they used to use for a long, ongoing extensive wars or opening up territories so that you could mine it for them and get resources for them. Now they say there's too much of you, too many of you altogether, you see. But being polite, 
you see, polite society. They don't come out just to your face at, at these little parties and tell you that. They don't tell you that, you see. Uh, and again, too, if you get in and the proper groups within the big group, you see, at polite society parties and things, you might gravitate towards an end of a room or into a separate room where uh, some important uh, uh, big boy, you see, uh, is there. And you can hobnob with them, as they say. You can hobnob a little bit with them. You can get to bathe in their presence for a little while. Uh, so you can always tell your friends, you know, I, I, I bathe in the presence of his own soul. And, and that's what you do at these things. But he's allowed to bring depressing things to the fore in these select little groups, you see. That's okay for him to do it, because he's a genius. And he's up there, you see, with helping planning the future for all the little people down below. And that's how the world really works, you know. Polite society. And these same polite people, uh, some of them are even the top of military fields, and uh, other ones are, as I say, are uh, the top CEOs of corporations that make all the stuff that kill people, you see. But they use hygienic terminology when they discuss things like that. It sounds very efficient and very hygienic, and they have surgical strikes and, you know, things like that. Now, you can understand, too, is that the right kind of parties where you get local big cheesies of newspapers, no, the, the, not just the editors, but the people who own the chains of newspapers, things like that. And these guys don't say much, you see, unless you're in uh, or within the, the inner coterie, uh, within the group, you see, because you might be a nobody, you see. And they do ask these questions. Who's that? Who's that, John? Is, is he somebody? And you see, and you see, yeah, no, he's not really a somebody. He's just a, he's just a little dambler, you know, and and media and things like that. And uh, so they know who to say things to and who not to. People in the club, and they do have private clubs, even in, in Britain and London. They still have their private clubs they go to, etc. And they all, and another thing too is, you know. That there are more deals, big, big deals made for contracts on the golf course than anywhere else. That's where all, it's all made, including future wars, you know. And, and of course, the, the money, the kickbacks they get too uh, from governments to, corpor- from, to corporations and make the, the weapons and so on, and to the guys in the military who's going to order the weaponry or, or really push it uh, on, on the politicians to buy it for them. Things like that. That's where everything happens on the golf course. No kidding. Eh? And that's the true secret of golf courses with their, with their gradient, basically, of fees to join them. When you get into really big ones, you're, you're pretty well made. Uh, that's where you meet anybody you need to meet to help to help you get even further ahead than you, you'd have to already be, you see, to be it in the first place. So the world works completely differently from the way people are trained to believe, you see, especially the folk down below, the masses of people, who are always taught that everything in the world is their fault. It's, it's your fault that the, the war is going on because of overpopulation, you know. If you split the, 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 your owners who own your universities as well as your, your politicians and your media, all sides of media, all kinds of media, they own them all, folks, if you haven't figured out. <laughs> and uh, it's, it's amazing how, 
they just want you to willingly give up your right to to exist and determine your own future as as far as possible. They don't. They they can't. They tr- they've been trying and trying for you to say, okay, okay, then and you get up one morning. And say, okay, that's it. Then I, 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 I'll give you my whole life. Do with it with, with what you want. You know. I mean, I must admit they have folk who are so screwed up today, and on various uh, antipsychotic drugs and things, which make them psychotic. Uh, literally, they find making decisions, making decisions for themselves, is an awful, awful, scary thing, and, and it's an awful burden having to make your own decisions. You see, and a lot of people have been trained not to make their own decisions, and they have social workers coming and going. I've read articles over the years about that, where the, the children in some of these families, and generally it's not families, it's generally just single parents sort of thing. And and mum's quite happy with the social workers too. They're all on first name basis with the social workers. And there's different ones come and go for different reasons. And they know the children who also call them on their first name basis. And and they see them as an extension of their family. If it wasn't for, for the, the government, so they just couldn't exist, you see. Because they're all their family. They're all their friends. That's how they see them. It's, it's astonishing. Rockefeller talked about creating this system a long time ago. Charles Galton Darwin said it too, in his book *The Next Million Years*. He says, "He says that the, the elite, we the elite, must remain wild, wild men. Our, our survival capabilities must be left unimpeded uh, to, to to totally survive using every means possible. So they couldn't be drugged or or damaged brains that they'd have to give to the rest of the population because they'd be steering planet Earth. You see." And he said, but they said the rest of the public won't need, the general public won't need that. Uh, they'll, be, they'll have the state making all their decisions for them. And it's happened. Have you noticed that? They walk around with these silly phones in their hands all the time, bumping into lampposts and things. Some of them even drive with them in their hands, playing games with them. And, and, and they're driving over people. And, and these same people, if you ask me a decision, they'll look at their phone for an answer on anything. Should I put this phone down? Question mark. This is how bad it is now. And you, th- you think you're free. <laughs> you see, how many hours of television does the average person watch in their lifetime? They used to work it out how many hours you slept, how many hours you worked, and then when they gave you a little bit of time off, uh, they'd work out how much time off you had and what you did with it, and so and hobbies thing. No, no, no. It's just the phone and games and stuff and watching TV, watching TV. A good chunk of their life is watching TV. Well, naturally, a long time ago. When your masters decided to give you the TV, they already had it figured out. They were going to program you through it. And it's been the greatest efficient weapon ever devised. I think even Spielberg talked about it too, including with movies too, same thing. It really is. It isn't darn you getting brainwashed all the time. All those countless documentaries for years and years and years. And when I, when I was small, you see, I used to wonder... As I studied my parents watching who watched the TV and their mouths would 
be, we'd drop open at times, you know, in astonishment. Or times our eyes would go wider. Or times they're almost crying at a certain thing on a drama. And I said, this this thing is the greatest tool. They, they, can turn, they can just tweak your emotions up and down or whatever, you see. And the documentaries were the same. And the children soak up the documentaries on the little furry animals. And all that was in the preparation to make you guilty and feel bad about just existing and taking food away and land away from the little animals and things. They can make you believe anything on television. And the folk do. They really do. They've no idea they're being played with by geniuses, the guys really way up yonder, who've studied you incredibly intensely for an awful long time. Awful long time. You see, all you've been trained for your whole life is to give up everything, give up your right to exist even. Give up your right to procreate and have children, things like that. Give up, give up. Just give everything up, you see. Voluntarily. You see, if the big boys get, get make everything mandatory and sterilize you, oh my God, you'll, you'll, hear, you'll hear them comparing this to things that happened in the past, things like that. Oh, tyrants and so on. All that kind of stuff. You understand? So you, you only remember that that's really what, what it's all about was giving it up voluntarily. The Rockefellers talked about this often back in the 60s and the 70s. And, and uh, they even had there's quotes out there too. I've read them on the air many times before. Go into cuttingthroughmidries.com because I'm not digging everything up again to repeat the same things to another another bunch of people. But yeah, Rockefeller, one of these said, said uh, uh, I think it was, was it Nelson that said it. Anyway, he said the people will, will come to his endorsal obedience. You see? Very similar to the Kissinger statement, too. About Very similar to, to what he said about people would eventually welcome the, the United Nations, if need be, uh, if they came in to feed them in California or something and stop riots. Things like that. But you will basically give up your rights and and um, and say enslave us. That's happening already. People are saying to government, stop going to your wars. Stop it. Stop fighting all these wars across the Middle East that, that was already published by one group <laughs> uh, who, who, who've, and it's continued ever since, you see, regardless of, of who they claim or pretend to have in, in, in power, you see. Remember I've said before, the Prime Minister or President is just someone to throw tomatoes at. When you get disgusted with them, that's what they're there for. The same agenda is continuing regardless of who's and who seems to be in power. Remember Rumsfeld, remember the article I read a few years ago? Rumsfeld congratulated Obama for continuing uh, and expanding the wars across the Middle East with the same bunch of countries. So, as I say, uh, yeah, your real masters don't bother. They don't get down and dirty with anything. This is all drama for the public. He said, she said, this is quite the drama they've given the American public this year. Mainly because they knew darn well that if it was business as usual, uh, vote for this party, or that, that people wouldn't bother voting. They're so disgusted with it. And so they give you a, a real doubt, you know, probably with producers working the scripts and stuff and all the rest of it. He said, and then she said, so far, nothing's been said about how America's going to get out the mess they're in with the money that they owe, uh, trillions and trillions of bucks. 
uh, with all the agreements are made and signed into law, basically, for treaties and, and free trade, yada, 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 with China and everybody else. And uh, all your factories being given over to China, etc. How are you going to reverse all of this kind of stuff? Do you really believe anyone's going to reverse that? Do you really think so? You you kidding yourself? I hope you're kidding yourself. Because it ain't going to happen. Which president's going to say, if you want, if you, and this is what they should say, of course, if you want to sell products and dominate the American market by bringing in stuff from China or anywhere else, from American factories based in China, uh, then tough cheese, you know. Uh, get your factory back home again and get the jobs started here again. And yet it would mean all these extra investors that never existed before, well, it won't get all their profits, their massive profits, you see. They have to cut all the, the amount of investors that they've got once again and and, and be, be quite content with a decent profit or your products ain't going to sell. Once they moved all the factories to China, they just brought more and more people in who, who put more money into the companies and expect the returns every year. There's more and more and more and more of them. And the, the junk they're bringing back from China gets cheaper made, cheaper made, cheaper made, and doesn't last at any time at all. And the price keeps going up and up and up uh, when they sell it over here. This is the racket. It's a complete racket. Of course it's a racket. It's going to help everybody free trade, eh? But it's the same con, isn't it? Just vote for the right person. <laughs> it's going to change. <laughs> And again, they've got all, all kinds of media on board with it, all paid off. Even the ones you would least suspect. Eh? But anyway, that's how things go. That's how things are. You have masters. And you're owned, basically. They own everything. Everything. The big corporations, too. A small coterie of folk own everything. You try and find out who, who's, who's got the main controlling interests in different corporations. It's quite astonishing. But getting back, you see, to how you're trained from, from the time you're born or you understand your first words, as soon as you understand a few words, even through children's stories, they're trying to, try to brainwash you, you see, right away. Right away. Never mind school. Oh, my goodness, once you're in school. Have you noticed these documentaries that have in school always had? And there's a famous woman in Canada who narrates a lot of these documentaries because she's got that voice, you know, it's very it's very husky and lowish and sort of very hypnotic, yeah. And once the music's there and they've got the furry animals on it and things are, or trees falling or something like that, you get the message across and your heart starts pumping, pumping, bum, 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 like Jaws, the music, you see. And that's how it works on you. You're trained, everything you look at and watch is getting, it's training you. It's all training you, you see. Make you feel guilty about things, even though you've got nothing to do with it. You must always believe that somehow you do have something to do with it, simply because you exist. That's the simple, simple thing about it all. You've got to give up your right to exist, bit by bit. Now, where am I going with this? I'm beginning to wonder. I started off with the little uh, polite society thing and all that. And polite societies, if, as I said before, if you mention something that really matters to them, they can turn for you know, their nasty, nasty glances and looks, scowls even. They're not that nice at all, or polite either, for that matter. So you got to understand, you can, you can really burn your bridges if you say something honest there. And it doesn't matter who you're talking to, 
man or woman, but if it's woman, if it's woman, you ought to tell them how beautiful they are. Oh, that's a beautiful dress, even though you haven't got a clue about dresses or anything else, you see. Or how old they are, or it doesn't make any difference at all. Just be polite and flatter them. And that's how you're supposed to be a, a genteel man. Or Gentile man depends to see what society belong to, and that's how it all works. And these folk all go through, must uh, been approved for keeping secrets, and the whole idea of masonry, of course, is to as it's a sorting mechanism, like like sifting, you see. And the ones that they want to go higher are sifted out at the lower orders, and the other ones go up higher and higher, you see, and they're tested out too. Things like that, all the time. But the whole point of it is, can they keep a secret? If they can keep secrets and keep their mouths shut, in other words, uh, and, and don't get drunk and blab everything out, uh, things like that. Just keep the secrets and don't lose your, your, your presence where you are, and like that, and start blabbing. Then you, you can be trustworthy. They used to call him a trustee. He's a good trusty person. Trustee, you see. And that's, that's how they picked people, and still do. And that really is the whole point of, of the, the, their societies and clubs and so on, is to make sure that they're vetted and vetted to keep their mouths shut, you see. Now, why they, well, they have to keep their mouths shut? Because they're involved with a lot of stuff that would terrify the public if they knew about it. They might not even like them very much, such as population control or poisoning your food. And then telling you it's your fault if they poison the food and kill you because they've got to feed the world. That was a big lie Monsanto spent in the late 90s, early 2000. Monsanto spent $250 million in the US on propaganda then to convince the public this was good for them. And the reason they had to do this was and take over the world's food supply was to feed the world, you see. That was a big, big lie, you see. That was a big lie. And I'm not, I'm not going to go through all of that. But it's amazing how when you talk to people today, that's, that's the only stuff they heard, this repetitive propaganda. And they'll parrot it to you without even thinking. They think themselves that by then they've thought it out for themselves, and they haven't. It's straight propaganda. You don't know whether they were fed weren't even facts. And that's how lies work, you see, in propaganda. When you see things which definitely are not facts, then yeah, you, you got to <laughs> look at the whole article, whatever it happens to be. It doesn't matter where it comes out of, some big, massive meeting or whatever with some fancy, fancy, polite name, uh, or even impolite name, then, then you know darn well it's, it's suspect, completely suspect. Don't forget that. And again, <laughs> there's so many tricks involved to do with percentages. That's one of the biggest areas for conning everybody, you see. They even have courses, you know, to teach people to, how to use percentages uh, in, in a very lying fashion by um, misrepresentation. And it's quite simple to lie all the time with percentages. I think it was FDR, maybe even before him, I don't know. Someone said, um, there are lies then damn lies, and then there are statistics. And that's what they use for the statistics as percentages. Do you know that 75% of the people who, who used to so-and-so uh, lived a lot longer, blah, blah, blah. 
well, wait a minute here. <laughs> you know, if you've got four people in a, in a study, four people, uh, and three quarters of them, you know, three of them, um, they chose this to eat or whatever it happened to be. It doesn't give you much data on anything because they chose something, this particular thing to eat. And, and then, and then how, how are you going to prove that you follow them down through their lives to see if they live longer or not? But when you say 75%, you know, in your head it seems an awful lot more than three people. It's all tricks. Everyone's tricks, you see. Fooling you is always to do with tricks. Or they give you so many folk, uh, millions lived back in, oh, in the Middle Ages or something, blah, blah, blah. How do they know? How do they know? Do you know, most, most and they're talking about the global too, across the world, a lot of places hadn't even been mapped. Never mind the sending census people and the census folk would have been come back with their head in a basket, you know. What rubbish. But they say it blatantly, so it's fact. You'll never see, oh, we estimate there could have been or there might have. No, no, they tell you it's like it's fact. It's astonishing. What did I say before? If you get lies like this, you know, the whole darn thing is a big marketing study to make you believe something, to give something up. You see? So that's all they give you is statistics. Now, the Agenda 21, which is also the Millennium Project, use this all the time. They still use it all the time. And going back to the days of Thomas Malthus, again, the thought we'd all be standing in each other's heads by now, we'd be so overpopulated. Uh, and he wanted the, the right from government to literally reduce population at will by slaughtering its own people, starving them to death or poisoning them or whatever was effective, you see. That hasn't gone away. It's, it's just, it's still in vogue today. I've done a lot of shows in the past about it all. It's, it's repetitive to me, but it's boring and boring to me as well because I've given so many of these talks in the past. It, Prove and show you that, and people again will always say, well, you know, in the past have changed. We've evolved since you know fifty years ago, or forty, or thirty, or twenty, or even ten. Oh, we've evolved since then. We're not the same people we were ten years ago. It's astonishing people just jump into, you know, these are the eternal optimists. Let's look at the bright side of things. We've evolved in the last five years, two years, one year. Mm, you know. <laughs> By the way, these are the same folk that vote. You see. Because they really do believe it's going to change something for the better for themselves. Hmm. Now, here's me prattling away, just prattling away I am, halfway through. And we have to get on with it, basically, because time is getting short, isn't it? And uh, there's, there's so much nonsense out there, so much nonsense today, perfect nonsense, because every side's been catered to and owned by the same one group, you see, every side of everything. I've said this for years, and I've said that don't think that um, the all-seeing eye would miss any particular venue of information. Of course it doesn't, because everything is in management, 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 and for every group out there or potential group that might get together or might have things in common or make them cohesive, they've got a, a ready-made group for you to join already. So that's how easy it all is, isn't it? Listen to the rubbish, rubbish on mainstream television from the U.S. and even the so-called alternate uh, media from the U.S. It's all the same.
Is that a coincidence, you think? Remember, too, I've mentioned so many times that it's fewer folk bother to vote at all. They're so disgusted. They throw up their hands and say, forget this nonsense. It's a Punch and Judy show. Literally, it is in the States right now, Punch and Judy. He said, she said, she said, he said. It's just a a complete Hollywood-created drama, a big soap, you see. A big, big soap. Because, believe you me, as Quigley said, the leaders of every party that they present to you are all members of the same one club, pre-picked, told that they must obey their masters. It's not the general population. You're not the masters. And And they do. But it's a legality. This whole voting idea is a legality to vote. Uh, complete, complete authority over yourself and everyone you know by someone else. That's what it is. Complete authority. And you do. You vote that in over and over again. It's quite interesting, really, if you really look into the future, if they ever have children way, way down the road there, uh, they'll, they'll be teaching the children that this was a, a, a wave three or wave four or whatever they want to put it into and, and say this is, the, this is the time when people actually voted their slave masters in. Because that's what it is. Once they're voted in, they do whatever they want. And they have total power to do whatever they want over you, whether you like it or not. I'm not going to the silly argument. They're not supposed to have that kind of power. I don't care what's supposed to be there. What is, is. No one in politics talks about tearing up all these treaties for depopulation by all the different means of depopulation too, which they've talked about in so many of their projects over many, many years, many, many, many years. So again, the politicians really are put there to catch the tomatoes that are thrown at them, and that saves you having a, a incredible riots or even revolutions every five years or so. That's really what they're designed to do. And from that perspective, I suppose it's much just it's much more efficient, uh, because unfortunately, even with revolutions, you tend to end up in the same position you were at before the revolutions, with just another bunch of tyrants. Basically, that's how things really work, isn't it? Because really, we live in this world uh, is completely materialistic. Uh, it's based on personal survival, which means family survival, then local survival or tribal survival, then international survival. And um, and even today, there are many different groups and races all competing for to be the dominant bunch. And some of them are awfully vocal about them. Some are very, very clever about it too. So you have to really look at what's going on to see how things work. And it's up to you to do so. Uh, a lot of folk just choose to believe this or choose to believe that. You've got to know, and evidence is always there. If you really, really dig, you'll see. And use your eyes and ears. Ask who people happen to be that are pushing all these ideas upon you and find out if, what they have in common and so on and so on and why they'd have so much in common with each other, etc. It, it's just a simple detective story. But you're living in an age, member. this is the century of transition where very old plans have been introduced, and this is the, the age in the century where they must all be completed, basically. And they are being completed, even as we live, and we've got a lot of this century left to go through, and they're really rushing ahead with it all, of course. But again, it's much easier to, to try and convince you, especially to train you from birth, that everything that's happening is really your fault, and you're a participant 
in all the world's problems because you, you're, you're responsible for them all, all of them, literally all of them. The very fact you exist is your fault for that too. And therefore you must take part in the predetermined solutions that are put out by the, the ruling mob at the top. That's really what it's all about. Most folk want simplistic answers. They want simplistic views in the world. And they really do want to believe in the Punch and Judy show of Trump and Clinton. That's what it is. They want to believe in that. They want to believe that someone's going to come out and make it all better for them and kiss their wounds like a, like a skinned knee on a child, you know, and they're crying their head off and, and, and uh, you kiss the, the knee all better. And, and, uh, and that's it. And this, that's Disney, a Disney version. That's what they want, Disneyland. Life isn't like that at all. Now, I'm not going to lecture people on it at all whatsoever. But getting back to all the treaties and so on, we're so well underway now. I mean, the, you're watching the prices of everything go up and up and up. That's not to do with markets. And uh, it's what to do with predetermined plans and strategies coming out of the big group that owns the United Nations. And all of the institutions under the United Nations... <laughs> And it's quite quite funny, actually. It's funny, literally funny, in a sense, sardonically. So it's funny to to watch these things being introduced as they star people to death, for instance, and blame you for it all. And meanwhile, their own military arm, which is NATO, well, that's the military arm of the United Nations, has been blasting across the Middle East and in parts of Africa and different places for so long now. You throw up your, your hands each time there's another war. And by the way, uh, it doesn't matter who you vote for in the States, especially uh, both of the so-called candidates have pledged allegiance to the same bunch at the top but to continue the same darn wars across the Middle East and elsewhere too. There's no con when you see a continuation of the same policy between houses as changes of Congress or parties, then you know you're under tyranny. That's what Jefferson said. The folk can't even see it happening in their own lifetime over and over again. So anyway, it gets awfully boring, doesn't it? it just <laughs> when you know what's going to happen, uh, it gets awfully boring. Truly, it gets boring. You're living through a script. I've said it so many times. But here's, a, here's a, uh, something I've read before and I've put it up on the website and so on. But it's important to get back to reality here, you know. And you get into the Millennium Project. You get into the Agenda 21 and 2030 and every other, uh, 15 years later, it's another one, another one. It's all the same for this century. So as you are still calling for the 21st century, Agenda 21, it's the same one. Don't get confused. And they put all their own uh, plans out there for you to go along with. They have their own training resources for children who'll grow up being leaders within and, and departments inside United Nations or NGO-affiliated groups. They're all working for the same thing. They train them. And they tell you on their websites how they train them and so on. It's, it's, there's nothing hidden. It's the open conspiracy, as H.G. Wells said. Now, when they can make people so apathetic and punch drunk with BS, you know, bothersome stuff that they get on the media, all the medias, by the way, it's just incredible. It's like the worldwide wrestling 
thing when they're all shouting at each other. That's all it is, folks. And you're all suckers when you're following the people who are showing all this stuff to you. I'm telling you. Anyway, here's um, the population division of the United Nations. And I'll put these links up tonight again. It predicts a global population of approximately 9 billion people in 2050. Again, lies, damn lies, and then there are statistics, you see. Uh, this always go through the same format. That's over 2 billion more people that are alive today. This mantra, 9 billion in 2050, so ingrained in our and our media's psyche that the forecast is no longer questioned. Using these numbers, 9 billion people in 2050, you see how many times I've said that in one line here? This is all technique, you see. The world's two main energy agencies, International Energy Agency, and the Energy Information Administration. Now, it's awfully important you remember what these things and look them up. <laughs> because they, 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 this is where all your, eng- this is your big CEO boys, uh, they, they have to go into their orders here too, folks. Mm-hmm. It says, then extrapolate past and current trends in energy consumption, forecast how much energy we will need in the future, so population growth determines our energy consumption forecast. Now, I've read articles before, and it's, they're all in CuttingThroughMatrix.com in the archive section, where you can go through years of other presentations on this stuff, where they tell you that if they can cut, cut energy, that's all energy, and price it out of existence for so many folks, as your electricity, your gas, your heating, all these things, then disease will set in, illness sets in, folks start dying off, down comes the population. Quite matter-of-factly, they put, they put it all out there. So when you see them talking about energy, uh, uh, you better understand what they're really talking about. You see, what determines population growth? What's been the cause of the unprecedented growth in world population in recent history? Many socioeconomic reasons are given as explanations. Medical advances, improvements in public health, sanitation and hygiene. Now, these things were all discussed at the beginning of the 20th century. Again, H.G. Wells talked about it. His cohorts talked about it because they all belonged to the same, the same group. He was a propagandist, H.G. Wells, uh, for this big international group that wanted to use world wars to create them and bring them, bring them in and get the whole nations to their knees to give up sovereignty and allow the, the experts to rule them and run their lives for them. And so if you go way past, as I said before, all of his fictional works, and look at his non-fictional works, he's very open about uh, their big agenda. The people were just too stupid to manage themselves. They needed to be managed by experts, and and it would be made to be so, you see. And he says, what happens if you, if you, if you help the people at the bottom, the poor folks? Well, they breed, he says. They breed like a disgusting disease or something. And and again, H.G. H. Wells was in touch with many other people of his, of his era, all in the same think tanks and so on. And Bertrand Russell and many others there. It's amazing too, even my bio has been stolen by other talk shows. But anyway, they talked about the same kind of thing, that they'd, they'd have to bring in diseases to reduce populations. And so they had this schizoid attitude of, yeah, we can help to, to make their, their hygiene better. We can, um, we can help them and immunize them against disease, but then, then their population will increase, etc., etc. This is the time, of remember, of open eugenics 
and discussions on eugenics, on superior and inferior, etc. Um, and even the sharing and, and, and distribution of the workforce from upper, me medium and lower, etc. for different tasks, etc. This is all openly discussed, even put into some of their movies. So, as I say, you're living through a big agenda right now. You think oh, that all the ideas that you start to prattle on about are your own. They're not. They're given to you. And that's what's with most folks' uh, ideas. It's all given to them. Because they haven't studied themselves into anything in any depth whatsoever. You see? So cut the energy that, that is needed. And, of course, you'll end up with disasters which are desirable on those at the top. Why would the UN, for instance, want to make you healthier and at the same time bring down your population? You see? Would you take an injection from someone who says, I want to inoculate against this terrible disease here, but also want to, to, to bring down the population? Would you then go ahead and offer your arm to this person? Would you? While well, you're doing it. And it says, uh, so they, they, they're basically they're criticizing health, sanitation, hygiene, and so on, increased food uh, availability, and so on. And... Uh, they talk about the development of trade and transportation and surprisingly high-quality energy sources are rarely mentioned or quickly discounted. Yet an argument can be made that each of the above factors contributing to population growth is aided and influenced by high-quality energy supplies. Cheap and abundant uh, fossil fuels have been a necessary precondition for the past century's population growth. So unfortunately, they're claiming that, in other words, unfortunately, that's helped them to increase their population. Hmm. And while not all countries benefit directly from the consumption of high energy, quality energy supplies, most countries benefit from the impact of high energy societies on low energy societies. So the ones who are benefiting are living off the low energy societies, they're claiming here. Now, there's nobody at the United Nations under all the prattle, this prattle, you know, and social preening, I prefer that term, preening, you know, because they're always preening public, how wonderful, uh, wonderfully altruistic they are, you see. They're, they're anything but. They're psychopaths and bureaucrats. Since what if energy consumption or precisely energy resource availability somehow determines population growth, perhaps energy resources determine the Earth's carrying capacity or how many people the Earth can support. Perhaps different energy resources have different effects on population growth. If we hypothesize that the Earth's population is ultimately undermined by availability of energy resources, and if some of those energy resources are, are near their peak rates of production, then that may affect rates of population growth. Why do you think they're, they're going to cut out all the carbon and fuels and so on for heating yourself in the winter time and all the rest, and in drive as well, eh? Scarcity of supplies. You can't drive and supplies can't move then. Scarcity of supplies, eh? Yep. Anyway, so it says, um, therefore the number of people in 2050 may be very different from widespread United Nations forecasts. Growing populations consume more energy. Availability of energy allows populations to grow. Energy consumption exerts demands on energy resources, making them scarcer. They become harder to extract. No, it's, no, don't. Each time they, they give you some something to be utterly fearful about, they always find new sources of it. Hmm? 
And uh, this goes on. It's a long article, Carrying Capacity and Logistic Growth. This is the stuff that they brainwash their own bureaucrats with, you see. And and believe you me, the the UN's always growing. like It's the biggest cancer on the planet. And the philosophy they push is the biggest cancer on the planet too. Yeah. Because as it grows, it kills. And its, and its plan ultimately is to kill an awful lot of people. And sterilize them and so on. Mind you, they even have think tanks to talk about how to kill you off quietly. Not all at once, like some big catastrophe. That would be terrible. Never mind the mess and the disease that would might come from all these bodies lying around. No, it's much better to step up cancer rates. How do you get cancer and develop? Well, you, you alter the genetic structure by exposure to many things. All kinds of radiations. You know that Wi-Fi is a radiation? Did you know that? Hmm? Microwaves are radiation? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then you've got all the chemical ones too from your pesticides and things too. Never mind all the stuff they're spraying on you daily from the skies. By mandate, international policy for international security. Mm, yeah. Yeah, all that stuff and long-term exposure, even short-term with certain chemicals, changes the cells genetically. Resulting in what? Death. And of course, we teach them in universities. Well, we have to we have to spray the skies to to cut out the, all the all the sun's heat. You know the heat that the sun. Mind you, for years they said the sun didn't have anything to do with global warming. It was all you that was causing the heat on the planet. So again, you have a schizoid answer thing. When you get a schizoid answer, you know it's BS. You see, bothersome stuff. So you've got to understand that everything is there to con you, to trick you, and to get you to comply and go along with your own extinction. That's what it's about. That's what all it's about. It's very clever, though. Because there's never been so many neuroscientists and psychologists and behaviorists all working together, you see, interdisciplinary, working on your brain. How to make you comply without you even know you're being worked on. In fact, you might even enjoy it if it's done through entertainment. Now, in these articles, they show you lots of graphs. They're famous for their Malthusian-type graphs, you see. It's awfully impressive. And remember, all these graphs are based on theories. And when it comes to environmentalism, which is all a front for the big masters to rule you completely and totally, you see, that's what it's about. That's what all it's about, really. It's warfare. Give up quietly, because you, you'll actually believe in it all, and be conquered because you believe in it all. Uh, but they want total control, and they're going to impress you with all these wonderful graphs and things, with all the theories. And they have, their theories change like the wind. All the time, they're always changing the suit to the present presentation, you see. So it can completely contradict the previous theory, and theories, plural, but never mention that part of it. They never mention that. Never, ever. So they go on about, again, shifts in societies, accompany shifts in energy resources, and they show you little graphs to, to show you what they mean by that, which, of course, is what they mean by that. <laughs> you can make your own ones up if you want and an energy model of population growth. Then they go roughly 10,000 years ago. It's great to talk about 10,000, because no one knows. No one knows, eh? This is increasing population pressure on wild food resources led to a shift from food-gathering, hunter-gatherers, to food-production, agriculturalists, in several parts of the world. This led to demand-induced technologies. 
and demand-induced searches for higher-quality energy sources such as water power and flow irrigation, animal draft power, iron tools and fire for land clearing and for improvement of hunting and pastoralism. And they get that from Bozerup's writings, 1981. Someone else who makes their money on imagination of the past. And it says population pressure. And they talk to you too, mind you. Like the, the, you're, the, and because they really believe at the top, you know, that with, with all their incredible uh, pomposity, that y- your eye uh, foreheads, your foreheads are all sticking out way, way longer than your noses are. With these simplistic terms that they give you and so on. And stupid with simplistic stories. As if they know what they're talking about. They don't know what happened 10,000 years ago. It's all, well, I guess they did this and I guess they did that. And I suppose they did. <laughs> Let's just make up your own guesswork. Anyway, it says, um, Population pressures in many parts of Europe in the 17th and 18th centuries led to serious shortages of wood, which in turn led to many of the technological innovations that fueled the Industrial Revolution. And coal's replacement of wood as the most important source of energy in Western Europe is a classic example of demand-induced innovation, promoted by population pressures on forested land in Western and Central Europe. Again, Bozrup again, who makes his living on this stuff. So again, they don't mention the fact that many folk, even when there was no trees, countries with no trees, are all cleared out by ice ages. The ice literally cleared the soil and everything else for a long time. And the only thing that grew back is, is very, was very um, uh, weed-ridden lands in many parts, even in Scotland. And, uh, and the folk burned peat, you know, the dried grass and so on at the top. They burned peat, and that kept them warm. So it was, they didn't have coal, didn't have wood. Yep. And so they, they forget these things too, you see. You just happen to forget them. And from the end of World War II, coal's premier importance as an energy source declined sharply and was replaced by crude oil, mainly because, mind you, that the big oil boys were monopolies and they were, they were also gangsters. For those who didn't know, didn't know the history of the big oil marins, they, uh, they blew up competitors' oil fields, uh, they killed them too, and they became very respectable with the second generation. They always do, these gangsters. But they, they're monopoly men, and the world is run by these monopolies, you see. Since far offshore drilling of oil began in 1947 off the coast of Louisiana, and a year later the world's largest oil field at Al Gawar in Saudi Arabia was drilled, large new discoveries of oil and gas in Africa and Asia combined with the development of oil super tankers and so on and so on and so on. Let me talk to you like your children, now, eh? Like, like uh, again, cavemen children with a big long, big, your, your browser. Actually, you don't need sunglasses because. Your brows keep the shade, keep your eyes in the shade, you see. These increases in consumption of crude oil have been coincided the highest populations and growth in history. One of the best things for, for that was uh, literally people freeing themselves from slavery. Because even the early agriculture across the Middle East and elsewhere, uh, the agriculturalists were often, uh, they often had uh, owned slaves to do all for them. And people, too, uh, eventually got better hygiene. Good hygiene to do with uh, especially waste products, human waste and animal waste and all the rest of it, away from uh, habitat areas where they're living, where people are living. 
made a massive difference, massive difference indeed. This is after the depressed population growth during World War II. The growth rose quickly to a peak of 2.2% in 1964, the highest rate the world's ever known. And it says, if there's a relationship between energy consumption and population growth, the different types of energy consumed may have different effects. And that's where they've got you back down to biofuels. This ethanol in your gasoline, which burns your engine out in no time. And Russia tanks, it really attracts the moisture like crazy. Uh, things like that. But don't worry, you're not allowed to, to have any, any petroleum products very shortly under the agenda 21, 2030. Call it what you want at the moment. It's all, it's all 21 to me. The rose by a rose is still a rosy. And it says, and especially the related problems associated with the very modest energy supply maxima must curb growth with increasing severity as expansion takes place. And that's from Wrigley, who stopped making chewing gum, and, um, and from his writings in 1992. Uh, the emergence of coal as an energy source eliminated the carrying capacity limits to population growth that any traditional and biomass energy-based culture would eventually face. So they're going on and on bashing down all your sources of energy because you can't have them. They don't want you to have them, you see. You want to ration them initially. Until they'll convince you there's shortages. These, these monopoly men literally have taken over countries under the guise of uh, taking care of it. Most of your countries right now in the States and Canada are going into massive so-called parks, national parks. You're not, you're not allowed on them, but the national parks, you see. This is the racket they're into, is to take more and more land for them. They're monopoly men. And whatever they do, they convince you it must be so for your own good. Isn't that beautiful? Isn't that better than the Vikings coming in and waving their, their big spears and stuff and, 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 and hammering you with axes, Because eh? the folk tend to fight back then. But, but when the folk don't know what's been done, it's all psychology. Uh, and you think it's all your fault. Well, I guess they're right. I should get myself sterilized right away here, you know. It's my fault. How wonderful. So the elite to convince you of this can, can expand their population. Isn't that wonderful? Hmm? What's a war, all right? Anyway, they've gone about some introduction of a new energy source, or new energy sources uh, raises population's carrying capacity. Oh, it's so bad, so bad, that. And biomass-based populations can grow at a slow rate if it all worked out, they claim, which is all theory, theory, theory. And they present different guys who work for them and turn books out, um, like Jenkins, uh, who talks about a percentage of total calculated consumption contributed by each energy source. Imagine all these guys just twiddling their thumbs, eh, and just making all this stuff up and getting paid massive salaries for it, eh? Statistics, statistics, statistics. Forget these rubbish statistics. It's all conology. And as I said, there's whole areas of marketing. They teach you how to con folk by using statistics and how to manipulate statistics and so on. And so anyway, this basically this whole thing is about energy resources that have enabled you and people you know and your families and so on to survive. And it's got to be all stopped, you see. And... 
from the United Nations. I've read it before too. I think that this is the UN Insider, the 2030 Agenda, a fresh start towards global sustainability. You see? And it's a reflection group report on the development 2016. This is a 2030 Agenda for Sustainable Development adopted unanimously at the United Nations by world heads of state and governments in September 2015 is highly ambitious. If taken seriously as the potential to change the prevailing development paradigm by re-emphasizing the multidimensional and interrelated nature of sustainable development and its universal applicability. The 2030 Agenda offers the opportunity to correct the errors and omissions of the MDG approach, an approach that has reduced the development discourse to a focus on the symptoms of extreme poverty, and the provision of basic social services in poor countries, what so it means sterilization services. While, without doubt, these issues are very important, the MDG approach failed to address adequately the structural flaws of the global economic and financial systems, the imperative of ecological sustainability, and the responsibilities of the global north. Now, what they mean by the financial systems and so on, and the flaws, is, is the fact that you used to put too much money in your pocket. That's what they mean. The 2030 Agenda offers the opportunity to respond in an integrated manner to urgent global problems such as accelerating global warming <laughs> and growing inequalities. The Sustainable Development Goals contained in the 2030 Agenda incorporate a commitment to reduce inequalities within and among countries. So back to this nonsense because this is, this is really... Uh, before they used to use communism, communism, com- communism, you see, to get a different agenda through... But they always use the fact that they're concerned about things not being fair. They say, no, this rubbish. They don't believe this at all at the top. It's all excuses, folks, to plunder everything from everybody else. So within and among countries, a clear demand for sustainable the consumption and production patterns and the aspiration for peace, fair governance and justice. Ah, Disneyland again. The 2030 Agenda is universal, not just because the SDGs are global in scope, but also because all countries have to do something to achieve them. You see? And then, they say, obstacles and contradictions remain. I just realized the time is flying here. I guess I'll do another part, a part two next week. Because it's important to understand the flow of how I start things and go, how I get through things and so on. And... uh, and for you to retain, because you have to retain things. If you want to really know what's going on, as I say. I'm saying don't believe me in anything. I don't give you opinions on you. I just tell you, here's, here's the stuff they're dishing out. Read it for yourselves. Tell me what you think. Because that's what you have to do regardless. That's what you have to do. Or you can listen to the worldwide wrestling thing on, on Hillary and, and, and Trump. You see? Listen to that. He said, she said. Wag the dog, the movie. Anyway, uh, so that's what I'll do. Next week I'll do that, and um, I hope you're all doing well, etc. I'm still hanging in just about here. It'll be a long way to go, no doubt about it. And uh, who knows what's going to happen. But we have to do what we have to do. Simple as that, folks. Hamish is still here, and he's just hanging in too. And uh, so from Hamish, myself, Ontario, Canada, it's good night to me, or God, your God, go with you. 